opportunity to hang out with Max and Benji of Slender Bodies over Zoom video. My brother-in-law, Sean Olbs, the Eiffels, actually hosted this interview. Benji and Max both talked about where they grew up and how they got into music. They both met while going to college in Santa Cruz, and that's where the band Slender Bodies was formed. They talked to us about putting out their first EP, their first full-length album, and their most recent record, Are We? You can watch our interview with Max, Benji, and my brother-in-law, Sean Olbs of the Eiffels, on our Facebook page and YouTube channel, at Bringing It Backwards. It would be incredible if you subscribe to our channel, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok, at Bringing Back Pod. We'd appreciate your support if you follow and subscribe to our podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts. We're Bringing It Backwards with Slender Bodies. All right, everybody. We got Slender Bodies here with us today. What's going on, guys? Yeah, how's it going? It's going well. So we got Benji and Max of Slender Bodies. And man, you guys, uh, your guys' project really went from a a bedroom project to a touring and streaming powerhouse. So I'm excited to hear the story. Uh, Before we get into the new album and the festivals you guys will be playing and the the new music and your merch, uh, do you guys want to just let us know how you got into music? Yeah, I'll let Max go first. I'm gonna let my say like just to preface, like we're definitely still a bedroom project. You know, (laughs) we just added the other things on to the side, which you know has been really fulfilling and actually really, it's really cool to kind of stick to our roots in the way that we produce and write the music. Um, But yeah, that's kind of how we started is like making music in our bedrooms. Like when I was like 14 years old, I just you know started making you know really terrible house beats in you know in my in my bedroom and it kind of slowly developed into me understanding how to use like production software better and better up until i went to college and actually met ben and in college we were like uh you know we were we were friends like that would spend time just working on music together and you know he would come and like record acoustic stuff and i had a really you know terrible studio set up in in my dorm room with a couple speakers and like a little little interface and he would just come up and we'd, you know, record on, um, you know, on acoustic guitars and just kind of, you know, get my chops up. And I would actually spend a lot of time recording all sorts of people around the uh, around the university up in Santa Cruz, where we went. And it was just a uh, it was just a great place for me to really get my chops up as a producer, as being able to, like, work on a lot of different genres and all sorts of different voices and try to get an understanding of how to just mold sound and get things sounding better and better. Um, I ended up leaving college two years into it to actually pursue music more seriously, and then Benji stayed, but we kept in touch kind of over the internet, and that was kind of the birth of of us working on music remotely. And, yeah, as, yeah, as Max left school, I decided to get more serious about because he went to school for audio engineering so i was like i wonder if there's a like a place at uc santa cruz where i can learn this as well and so they did have a music program with like studios and stuff so i applied and got in and essentially max became my teacher for like and like has been for like the past like five years or so i mean like most of what i know about audio engineering and production i learned from max or by working with max so we have this nice kind of like teach each other things relationship um that blossomed really out of us working remotely in those first couple years of college yeah Yeah, that's cool i mean i guess you could say you could have saved some money on tuition but then you wouldn't have met each other so (laughs) i I guess uh everything happens for a reason it's a social tuition you know yeah (laughs) 
<laughs> it, it really is. I, I like, uh, I, I love Santa Cruz. Um, I knew some friends who, who went to UC Santa Cruz and uh, so I used to visit there um, quite a what bit. What was your favorite and, college uh, to visit? Uh, not not so much of the campus, but uh, the the surrounding areas. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. I uh, you know, uh, the the downtown area is cool. Um, it's beautiful up there for sure. Yeah, yeah. I have some good memories up there. Um, so you guys both, you know, hang. Were you were you guys both into music though, uh, pretty thoroughly before college, or did it become something that that you really picked up steam in college? I I was. I think 12 when I first picked up the guitar and I picked it up as a as a vehicle to write songs and so that's really like where my basis was I, I like started like I was in like a rock band at first like just playing lead guitar and then that rock band broke up and me and my best friend um, from childhood started another rock band and then from that that rock band broke up and me and my other best friend who was around like we started like a third rock band so I had like three iterations of like kind of like grunge hardcore rock bands growing up but i never knew the ins and outs of recording i just tried to focus on songwriting and playing for the most part um so yeah i've been i've been in it for since i was 12 years old just about yeah my parents you... would always oh go ahead go ahead max go ahead i was just gonna i was just gonna add to it, be like yeah like my parents have um always said that like I'd always really loved music so they put me into a piano class when I was super super young and I think that was kind of like my most formative of like understanding music and tonality and rhythm and all those things like when I was you know five or six years old and then you know being a six-year-old I was like I hate this and <laughs> two years later like I stopped playing um, and around when I was 12 I actually picked up the guitar and realized that I actually really loved that and kind of dove back into learning other instruments as well and picked up like how to play the drums, got back into keys again and like um, play, you know, playing bass and just kind of like picking picking up a bunch of instruments. But definitely guitar has been like the core instrument that I've uh, picked up similar to Benji um, to use for songwriting or just getting like ideas out there. And that was definitely something we connected on whenever we had originally met and we would just like, you know, play music together just for fun. Yeah, I feel like that's such a uh, common story, the the early childhood piano lessons, and then I don't like this. <laughs> and oh, yeah. then later on, actually learning something that you want to play and being like, okay, I do like music. Yeah, yeah. Theory is really hard when you're, you know, you just have like, you know, object permanence and like, you know, memory permanence in your brain, and you're just like really coming in your own as a child. It's really hard to <laughs> feel like I'm going to practice scales. <laughs> yeah, totally. Did, uh, did, were you in rock bands too, Max? Or, I mean, picking up the guitar, were you yeah. in a couple bands first? In middle school, I definitely played in like some punk rock bands, but it was, you know, always very just garage bandy, like sitting in, you know, a friend's garage, you know, playing music way too loudly, probably should have worn ear protection, but, you know, no regrets. I feel like those were really formative and just being able to play with other people i'm sure we sounded terrible but you know that's the you know that's that's where you start and <laughs> and i think you slowly develop into you know learning what actually does sound good and like you know finding rhythms with other players and stuff and i think around that time when i was playing uh with bands in middle school is when i was like oh like i kind of want to learn how to record stuff because i think that'd be really cool and we can start to get just like an idea of how to get sound from the air into speakers essentially um yeah yeah I, i'm i'm interested uh i mean we all have 
or many of us have diverse tastes in music, but how do you guys go from both being in punk rock bands and rock bands to uh, making music that basically sounds like a blanket or a warm breeze? <laughs> um, I think that for me, it was a lot. Of, it was a lot of exposure to different kinds of music when I went to college, um, and even a little bit before. I remember the big the big kicker for me was I was. 16 years old, I'd just gotten my first car and my cousin gave me like one of those data discs of like, you know, you could stack like hundreds of songs on it at the time and you could burn burn CDs, but it was just a data disc. So I popped in my computer and I burned like four or five discs from that big mix. It was a, it was a playlist basically. And so it was all just indie music. It was all like Death Cab for Cutie. It was all like Freelance Whales. It was like Seeger Ross, like all this stuff I'd never been exposed to before. And that changed, you know, being super interested in songwriting, but really getting it from, you know, I guess a young age, like it was a lot of Paul Simon Fleetwood Mac from my mom. But um, when I started listening to songs, I was listening to like a lot of Green Day. So that's where my songwriting taste was to indie music, which is all songwriting in a lot of ways, um, where it's not really about like the recording fidelity it really changed how I saw music and storytelling and kind of the different tones, especially like, yeah, like, Death Cat for Cutie and like Radiohead especially like changed how I saw the sonic landscape of like what I wanted to do and going into college I was exposed to like way more hip-hop and R&B and all that just coalesced as well as electronic music like I hated on dance music a ton when I was a kid and then as I went to college I was like this actually has a ton of merit and the depth of sounds that you can get in electronic music is is infinite and I thought that was really intriguing yeah did you um, uh, did you and Max find a commonality in your music taste before you started making it, or did you start kind of developing the the sound as you guys were messing around? Well, Max actually like had the sound for Slender Bodies, like, and he approached me. He's like, I like, like this is what I'm thinking of. Like, here are the parameters: like falsetto vocals and guitar, like manipulated guitar, regular guitar, any type of guitar. Like, that's what we're going for. And that really set the foundation. It was easy to fall in step in that. Yeah. And I feel like, yeah, I mean, growing up, like, my parents would listen to a ton of, like, Sade and Sting and kind of those. And I'm sure, you know, hearing that, you're like, oh, yeah, like, I totally see the, like, the influence to, like, a certain extent. I think there is a lot of that um, R&B feeling, soft vocals, harmonies, all the things that, like, those artists do really well. And when I grew up, I got really, you know, I feel like my transition from listening to uh, hard rock and, you know, metal and whatever, and then like slowly shifting into like punk rock, into more of like an alternative rock, into more of an indie rock, and then discovering bands like Radiohead or, um, you know, Envy Corpse, which is a very indie band that I'm obsessed with. Um, so <laughs> bands like that, that like really like solidified, like, wow, like, this like really um, crooning vocal that you know has like such like a longing thing, but then tying it back into like these like suave R and B Sade feelings and like the happy like huge harmonies of Sting. And I think looking back now, like I could see how all those influences have like come to you know bring our music together into those tastes. Um, but at the time, you know, it was just a co yeah like kind of coalescing all the you know hip-hop and r&b and rock and indie and just guitar-based music that we listen to and and you know and essentially pop music as well um and just making this you know 
this sound that essentially became our own. And I think that there was a, through sharing music with each other, I think that's been a huge point of point of contact for, for this sound. Cause not only like before the project were we sharing things that we were making, but we were sharing like other artists we were interested in. And I think uh, one of the most formative periods for this project was after Soto Voce and Fabulous had come out, I had moved down to LA and Max and I were going to songwriting and production sessions every day for like a year and some change. And so we'd have like 45 minutes to, you know, two hours driving into Culver City because of the traffic. We lived in Santa Clarita. So we were like just putting on different albums front to back. And so playing stuff for each other. Um, I remember like getting like the the Beach Boys Pet Sounds um, CD and like putting that in. We just listened to that like front to back like a few times. And yeah, I think Max had some shoddy records as well. So we were just like letting all of these things sponge into ourselves and each other's brains to kind of see where we wanted to go next on an intuitive level, like not trying to like push it there on a verbal level, but just kind of soaking it all in and seeing what came out later. And it was fun how limiting it was, especially at the time, because I had an old BMW that had a single CD player and you had no aux and no, you know, nothing. So pretty much your only choice was to listen to albums front to back. So we'd always buy CDs and listen to listen to records front to back. And I think that was one of the reasons that we got so um, attached to writing like albums rather than being more of a singles band. Like we just love the idea of a collection of music that you can sit down and like completely dive into rather than it being like a three minute single that you're just like, that's great. But then there's nothing to like really settle into afterwards. Yeah, I do miss that listening to whole albums you know it's something we've uh i think culturally got away from um but uh there's still those bands now and then that you can pop in a whole album and, and just listen to it or you you know you know them by name and you're like i'm gonna listen to this whole thing but yeah back when cds were still being sold prevalently you put that cd in the car and you would just let it be in the, your car for like a week or something like that or a couple of weeks yeah. you know and you just listen to it over and over Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, I definitely see the influences. I love me some Sade and Sting, so that's cool. Um, and and it's funny how commuting, as much as it sucks sometimes, uh, sometimes you miss it. Uh, you know, like uh, because it does give you that that kind of passive, active listening time. It's like uh, your your you, your brain has to be awake enough to to be driving, so you're alert. But at the same time, you it's passive enough that you can listen to these things and actually yeah. talk about them. Absolutely. Yeah, that is definitely something I miss of, about, you know, about dr the commute. But I definitely do not miss the L.A. traffic. Yeah, the commute itself was not a vibe. <laughs> right. This so when you guys were working on that that first album, did you guys know you were on to something because when you put it out um it, it was greatly received um so as you were putting the finishing touches on it were you like i think we got something here i mean we thought it was cool but it was a it was a passion project like we never intended to play any we never intended to play live like period like full stop like we did this project as a creative haven for the both of us to just have a project where we got to make music together and so all of those songs for Soda Veche, you know, all of them were written within that like month and a half where we, we started up like Max sent me Sublime and Gray 
And then we just went to work like every week. It'd be like a song, two songs, and we put it together. He came to Santa Cruz. We finished up mixing and mastering, and then we just released it on the internet. And we're like, cool. Now we can share this with our friends and family. Like we've been talking about it to some of them. Like now they can hear it. Like that's neat. And like I remember, I was like on Submit Hub, and I submitted it to like a couple blogs or something. I was like, might as well like see what happens. But it wasn't like, dang, like we got the heat. Like we're gonna, you know, really just like blast off with this. We were like, that was super fun. Like let's do our due diligence and like put it out on Spotify and like submit it to some blogs and like, then, you know, probably, probably walk away and then like do something else later. We had no idea it was going to, this yeah. was going to happen. <laughs> I'm pretty sure like we, we were just, we put it out and I wouldn't say we forgot about it because we were really excited about the music, but we definitely were not actively like looking at numbers or anything. And I'm pretty sure like a few months later, one of our friends, like messaged us or something yeah. and was like yeah like one of one of your songs is like really going off on on spotify and we were like oh <laughs> and like kind of like that was kind of when we first started like diving into it like oh wow like people are actually really listening to this stuff um and you know we were we were already writing new material at the time we had kind of dove into like ideas for fabulous and we were like we want like i want to write a second project for this again the whole like the album mentality the story mentality we were constantly like what's the next album like what's the next concept so we had like some demos and stuff ready but once that started happening and we saw the first record really starting to uh take shape and like have this amazing organic growth we were like okay like we need to really prep to put something else out yeah that's that's really cool that that it happened like that um do you i mean only submitting a you know to some blogs and then just kind of not watching the numbers did you guys attribute the early uh, kind of uh, traction from, was there a, a certain playlist or a certain blog that, that you think really brought you to the next level that, that got you to that wider audience that really started the snowball going? We got put on fresh finds on Spotify. And I think that that did spread the snowball, but at the same time, like looking like once that happened, like once our friend was like, Hey, your song is like really doing the thing on Spotify. Like I remember looking back on SoundCloud and like, people had reposted it. So like, I don't know what the catalyst was or who the catalyst was. Um, it really did just kind of seem like a shot in the dark. And like, that's why I feel like I always like kind of point back to just like immense gratitude and luck and like, yeah. you know, I think we're, I think we're like immensely lucky to be honest. Totally. Yeah, that, that's awesome. So, yeah. so you guys put out this album. It, uh, it does great um, unexpectedly seemingly. Um, and you know now you guys have racked up millions of streams um even with that album i think you did um and that was with no label or, or radio support and when did you start seeing the transition from wow we're getting a lot of streams to oh we're gonna go on tour or play some shows with uh muramasa and passion pit or you know tell tell us a little bit about that transition from wow, we got some traction to, to doing these great tours and, and, and festivals. So I feel like it was a very, very kind of nosedive right into it, which was really interesting because um, we, we had started getting some interest just from like management and labels and stuff kind of as we were working on the second project. But we didn't end up signing anything for another two projects, which was, which was really cool. So Fabulous ended up coming out um, well, we did do a like kind of like a a very like light deal with Majestic Casual, which we were huge fans of out in Germany, 
and we loved all the music and I was actually probably a very big influence in our tastes and like how you know how our um, sound had evolved like and I was just like this is amazing they're interested they had reached out to us and I was just like I've been listening to them since I was like 16 years old like this would be so cool to just put out an album with them so they helped us promote Fabulist and whatever it did it did something because Anemone just kind of took off and it was kind of like had a had a life of its own and that was not even really the song we were trying to push it was kind of like interesting because when we had first put out the record we were like we should really push little islands as like the lead single because we really loved that song and everybody really loved that song and then anemone ended up being the one that was like just like started i remember like when that song came out and i think in the first month it had like you know two or three million plays and we were like oh okay like and then it was like and it just like kept going up faster and faster and we were like oh like totally didn't see this coming but like um and that one just really took a life of its own and I think that's when we really started seeing serious interest from a lot of labels and yada yada and like um and again we didn't sign anything until after we released Fabulous Extended which was essentially Fabulous was always meant to be a 10 track record um but we ended up splitting it into two five track EPs for I don't know what reason. I honestly think it's just because the second five tracks weren't ready at the time and they just didn't hold up to the first five. So <laughs> um, it, the way that it led us there was kind of uh, interesting. But yeah, after we put out Fabulous Extended, we pretty much had an offer from Passion Pit to come on a tour with them in nine days. We had never played a show before in our lives. Awesome. And the tour was starting in nine days. <laughs> so I remember us wow. basically running around town trying to get all the gear we needed in time because obviously like we couldn't order everything from the internet it just like wouldn't have made it in time like so we were just going to like obscure audio shops trying to find like in-ear monitors or like you know whatever we literally else. didn't know what we needed we were like calling friends being like we're about to do you know this <laughs> not date tour like, like, like what do we need yeah that's so. that's amazing and hilarious <laughs> you know it's like maybe calling up some musician friends who've been working for a long time and just being like uh, I, i've never been on tour before uh but passion pit wants me to tour with them so <laughs> what do yeah. i need yeah we were, was... we were playing some like four or five thousand cap rooms i remember like which was just insane for that to be like our first ever i think the only show we had done before that was a so far sounds where we played yeah. in like a living room well, we played Mur we oh, played we that Muramasa. You're right. We did Muramasa before we did the Passion Pit tour. And that was, I mean, even that, that was, was that was like a 500 cap room. Yeah. Yeah, but at the time it was, I was like, that was also insane. Like I had a, I had a hood on the whole concert because I couldn't <laughs> handle looking at the crowd. That was huge. Uh, yeah, and uh, then a few months after that, yeah, we had we got the offer for the Passion Pit thing, and we were like. Yeah, because I think that first show, we really just run and gunned it, and we kind of just used the gear that they had and figured yeah, it was it out. Really, it was tracks. I don't think we had ears. I think we were just, like, listening. In the monitors. Yeah, yeah to, the, to monitors facing us. And, yeah, it was just, like... But it, And that was a whirlwind, too. I think that had happened. And, we're like, and they're, like, in, you know, in two weeks, we have a spot for you or something like that. Um, so, yeah, Nosedive is a really good way to put it. It just kind of all happened and then kept rolling. I mean, once we did that Passion Pit tour, we got an offer to go on tour with Paris across um canada which was really special um, i feel like that was the first tour where we really put in our hours to like start understanding how to tour properly i agree like right the paris tour was it was a lot of shows i think it was like two or three months it was really long 
um, and we ended up really get, getting our chops, I think, during that tour. Um, and I feel like I'll never forget that experience because it was just like, it was literally me, Ben, and our, our really good friend and tour manager, Alex Tatum. And he was, you know, he was the tour father. Like, he was, like, so good at, like, what he was doing. He yeah. had never tour managed before. And he's just like, you know, he's, you know, he's a 26-year-old, literally the biggest dad vibes you'll ever get. It's great. <laughs> uh, well, that's good to have some dad vibes with the uh, with the tour dad. Yeah, kept us safe. You know, we all we were all taking turns driving. We we were in a Toyota Tacoma. Yeah. For, you know, over ten thousand miles um, with all of our stuff <laughs> yeah. in the back. I think we might have broke twelve thousand miles by the I time believe. we got home. It was crazy. Yeah, it was just like, yeah, it's fun to reminisce on that tour because we really did go through a lot. Those Tacomas go. I was just talking to a friend of mine. We were like, those Toyota Tacomas last. I still see Toyota Tacomas from like the year 2000 driving around and they look oh, yeah. fine. You know? <laughs> yeah, I love, I, I, I still have that Tacoma. It still still runs like a charm. So Still kicking. <laughs> still kicking. Um, so, uh, so did, and then did you say that you got you got approached by bigger labels after these tours um, and, and and eventually signed? Yeah, so prior to putting out uh, Komarebi, well, and Soraya, um, this was like a fun, you know, backstory thing. Like, we were originally prepping to release Komarebi, and we were shopping it to labels, and it was pretty much ready at the time. And we were, yeah, we were shopping labels, at the, and then we ended up signing a deal with our label currently, which is Avant Garden, um, which is an indie label that became a subsidiary of island records under universal so it was kind of like this like subsidiary of subsidiary thing but it was really cool and actually when we once we signed we were like oh we should do an ep first before we put out kamarebi and that's kind of where soraya was born we were already writing some songs for it and whatnot and we had actually um pulled certain songs from our older catalog and totally reproduced them in the new style because i was actually listening to um that new, I guess it's not new anymore, but the new Arcade Monkeys record, uh, Arctic Monkeys. I was like, that's two different bands. Yeah, I was <laughs> like, oh, is this some band I haven't heard of? <laughs> I was like, no, I just mixed two different bands. Yeah, Arctic Monkeys record. It was the hotel. Oh my God, I'm blanking on the name of the record. Arctic, Arctic Monkeys. It was it's called. The one, it's like two two records ago. It was kind of like a hotel and casino. That's yeah, the one. Yeah. So I was absolutely obsessed with just the sound, like the sound design of that on that record, and the way that it just like felt, and I, I was just like, yeah, like that. Um, I want to write something that like has that type of like weird vocal effect, really just warm and thick. And I think that's where that's where Soraya Sar was born out of like us wanting to do a new EP before uh, the record came out, and and just uh, you know me just loving that like sonic atmosphere. Um, and we had pulled some songs like Take You Home, which was actually written for Fabulous, and we just didn't like the way that we had produced it at the time, so it ended up not making the cut, but we knew the songwriting was really good. Um, so we totally reproduced it from scratch for Soraya, and it was like the perfect fit just with that sonic atmosphere. Um, so we ended up putting that out under Island Records, and then six months or eight months later, I can't remember the exact timeline, we put out Komarebi, which was like our first real album even though like when you really look at it it's like Soda Voce was technically an album though a short one and then Fabulous if you look at the two parts was like another album and then Soraya was the EP and then we had Cobra Abbey, which was you know in our eyes like 
our third album but in the eyes of like the way that you know we had the music out was like our first album um which i love that record i think that's one that was heavily inspired by uh just the forest and santa cruz and actually us returning back up there to to write and that most of that record was written in northern california um so it just like ties back to our roots in a really in a really humbling way right what i i guess some artists uh might wonder you guys seemingly were doing so well um independently uh was did, what were some of the um advantages that you saw with the with the label that very familiar with the team we were very familiar with the team I mean, we we'd known avant garden um the people there for for many years um much since we were writing fabulous we had known them okay so, we weren't really working with them heavily but yeah we had known them um, so that was that was a big a big factor and yeah i mean at the it just it's it's it seemed like the move for for me personally i think a, a huge part of it was like um you know like growing growing up i always like was watching like almost famous and like other like you know movies about like um being a professional musician and again almost famous is like a strange example because there's so much about like the the darker side or like the more um, great movie though yeah yeah it's a great movie but um you know i wanted i wanted the record deal i thought that was like a really cool thing um and i thought it was an accomplishment really cool. to a certain extent yeah exactly sure. it's, it was a big accomplishment and so i think that that was a huge motivating example and also to to go through it to know you know what what a major label system can do and like really to just like explore that because it's not an opportunity that everybody gets. It's it's something that again I feel very lucky and grateful for, um, and it, it, like you know I just wanted to I wanted to see it would happen because, you know we were we were doing well independently but we, at that at that point like really wanted to take it to the next level and like continue to boost and music our music and grow and like, be able to have really special music videos like you know the one for Belong and Arrival that are on that record and um, major labels. They help with that you know like having having a, a budget like really helps like we weren't you know raking it in at that point we need we needed a team in a lot of ways right right so that so the label did help uh getting kind of being able to front some of that money for, for some of the visual yeah, um, visions you guys had um I mean, they were the ones and you know we we are very specific i would say about how we try to roll out our visuals and how we want our aesthetic to be um, portrayed, but they were the ones who introduced us to like Alvin Gardner specifically, like they knew Savannah Seton and at the time she was working for Pulse Films. So that's how we met her. Um, and yeah, like there, there was a lot of, there, there has been a lot of great stuff that's come out of this deal, I would say in terms of like direction and, um, yeah, support, like some of the, like, definitely like we needed, you know, like help marketing and like what I, I'm not, we're not social media gurus. Like we need some like assistance there. Like when we go on tour, like what's the, you know, obviously we have agents with UTA and stuff like that, but like we were still getting like support, like moral support and just like a bunch of good stuff during that, during that tour, especially with Kamarebi. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, just, I think at the time it made a ton of sense. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, it sounds like some of the stuff um, that initially happened might've been up, uh, might have happened out of chance and and maybe having a label would would leave less up to chance and, and more up to a team 
yeah, I mean, I think that's kind of the idea. It's like, as we grow up musically and, you know, temporally, physically, um, we want to be more calculated, I think, sure. in how we go about this project because, you know, and it's, and it's kind of evident in our sound. Like, Soda Voce is like, it, it does have its own sound, but like to us, it was very eclectic. It was almost chaotic in the way that it was written. It was very much like, you know, a vomit of like our collective art and as we've gone along it's been a little bit more technical going into each record whether that's a cons a defined concept or whether that's a defined like kind of sonic space or whether that's saying we want to break all the rules and just like go for something yeah. totally so you guys tell us about the new album are we and then i know you also are already working on new music so maybe tell us a little bit about are we and then and where you're headed from there sure yeah. Um, are we is what in our minds, you know, it was a it was a pretty much like a in a way like a, we were trying to straight straight shoot for a pop record, but one that still felt true to us. And so, um, you know, we wrote some songs like early last year, right as we were heading into kind of the height of the pandemic, um, and realized that, you know it was time to break some rules. It was time to bust out some synthesizers, time to put some live drums on this stuff. Um, you know, time to get some full, full voice vocals and pair that with the falsetto. Nice. Yeah. yeah. And I think, you know, conceptually the, the, the title of the record speaks for itself in the way that it allowed us to ask, you know, ask questions that, you know, we could explore for ourselves, you know, are we pop songwriters or, you know, are we, you know, whatever activists or are we, you know, and any, anything that you can like end that s sentence with just allows you, um, or, or start that sentence with like, who are we? Or like, you know, like, why are we doing, you know, what we're doing? Like all these like questions that you can really like break at, break down and, um, and allow yourself to answer them through the music was like a really interesting, um, way to move forward with it and I think because of that there's a lot of firsts on this record because you know every time we asked ourselves like are we a band that likes to use synthesizers or not are we a band that likes to sing with full voice or not are we a band that likes to collaborate with other artists and I think that's why you'd see like the first time we ever did collaborations the first time we've ever used like other instruments other than guitars and like the first time we've you know incorporated all of these things is because we wanted to ask ourselves and explore the possibility of those being something that can continue to be an identity of slender bodies i love that and and so we can listen to that already it's out um when can we expect new music very very released music very very, very soon. we've had some more collaborations um and like since you know we we're wrapping up are we and so we're gonna start trying to put those out i'm gonna stay you know a little bit candid and uh keep it close to the chest, but um, it's coming very soon. And it's still in that similar world as are we, it's almost like um, an extension or like a bridge to what we're doing next. And as far as like full fledged project that we're doing next, we we have a pretty good sense, but we're still exploring it. I think that's the most important part. Um, but we're excited. Uh, we were very, we're very excited. Stuff, yeah, we're really excited. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's amazing putting out a whole album, already working on new music and you guys got a tour coming up in August with Lewis the Child. That's exciting. Is that the first uh, live shows back since the pandemic, or have you guys been doing some stuff uh, in between? That'll be our first show with people. 
Yeah. Wow. Very yeah, cool. We had our live stream, a kind of release party where we played a show, and that was kind of our first time just playing music live since yeah since the pandemic started, and that was really cool because we were we're bringing on a new drummer, uh, who's who's been absolutely fantastic, and we've been really excited to work with him, and yeah, so the first time we're gonna be doing some real uh some real uh shows with people with a crowd and everything will be the loose the child shows in august so, so yeah we're looking forward to it yeah we'll be on that those four dates of the euphoria tour um i believe around let me look on my calendar i think there it's like go. august 18 yeah it is yeah yeah 18 19 20 21 and then we'll be back on the road to do Life is Beautiful in September, as well as we're playing Red Rocks with Big Gigantic in September as well. Awesome. And uh, tell us a little bit about your merch, because uh, you guys have some new exclusive merch. Yeah, so this is stuff that we, you know, on one of those other questions that we asked ourselves in the middle of this was, are we graphic designers? Are we, you know, fashion <laughs> fashionistas or fashion designers? And so... Uh-huh. It was kind of a passion project for for Max and I to be able to design these. Like we'd always wanted to make like, you know, really nice, like kind of low batch quantity stuff that's very special and limited edition. So um, we made this merch set um, and they all go together and they feature the album art, but we have it embroidered really nicely um, through our merch company. Um, We handpicked all of the the blanks from this website called AS Color and it's all eco-friendly stuff. Um, and then, yeah, like, so all the positioning and all of the design and lettering and all that stuff was stuff we, we designed ourselves and we're only selling a finite quantity of them, like less than 150, I think. So we're running a pre-order right now and literally they won't be made again. So it's kind of an exciting thing to be like putting out collectors items, I guess, or like merch that we're like really excited about and that we want to wear. Um, but like low batch and like high, high quality, I guess. Yeah. I love the idea of constantly asking, are we? And then most of the time, it sounds like the answer is yes. <laughs> and, then, and if it's no, then you throw it away and you move on. But uh, but it sounds like most of what you guys have, are putting out is uh, is concluding that, yes, you do like synthesizers. You do like singing with full voice sometimes. You do yeah, like acting like... You uh, until you try it, right? And I think that's like the main idea behind like yeah. actually exploring everything is, you know, you, you would never know unless, you know, you did it and then... And yeah, there are some things that we did really enjoy about this process and other things that we learned that we didn't like as much. And I think that's been like a really eye-opening experience for us and something that we will probably continue to do as we continue to make more music is continue to ask ourselves the are we question and continue to build upon our identities in that way. Yeah, I think are we is like a practice because you got to explore it. You, it's, about, it's about a journey. It's not just a reflective question. It is an active practice. Yeah, are we? We're gonna keep asking ourselves, are we? Probably. (laughs) Yes. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, So, congratulations, guys, on all the success. What an amazing story. Um, We like to end the interview by asking if you had one piece of advice for aspiring artists, what would it be? I always say, just get music out there. The best you know like i think a lot of artists spend so much time trying to put out the perfect piece of music and that does not exist so just put yeah. out anything that you're excited about because i think others will be excited about it um and you know i think you'll learn as you go and i think your music will get better and you know if you're proud of it then don't be afraid to show the world 
I would absolutely second that. That's why we're here doing this. I, I would love to know about your guys' work ethic, uh, because especially being a, a group that lo- likes to put out albums, um, you know, that's that can seem daunting to some people. Um, tell, talk talk to maybe finish the interview by letting us know a little bit about your work ethic and how you how have such a high output. Um, I always say that I'm like a completionist perfectionist. So I think that kind of helps tie into like, I need to finish it, but I also need it to be perfect. So that <laughs> I think that helps like in us rounding out music, but I don't know if you want to add to that, Benji. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that I've definitely picked up a lot of, um, attention to detail skills from working with Max, but I'm, I'm, I'm also a completionist. I think that's what binds us. I think that's why we work super well together. At the same time, I'm very gentle with myself, or I have learned to be more gentle with myself over the years of like, you know, if the pressure is on really hot, like really asking myself, like, is it on hot because there's a deadline or am I just like putting this like unneeded pressure on myself? Um, I treat creativity as a friend and like, I really try to like see it as like a physical being that I interact with. And I say, like, would I treat my friend this way? Would I demand that my friend come, o- come over all the time, even when I'm not like really that stoked to see my friend. Um, if I'm having a bad day or a hard time, then I, I do just like give myself space or I'll, I'll do something like painting or drawing. Um, and that helps me. But I think the thing that helps my work, I think, is that music is literally one of the most fun things to me. And so in like completing something is really fun and the process of working to complete something is also really fun and so the whole thing just seems really gratifying and validating and so that's what keeps me coming back is that i've never i've rarely had a bad day working on music there's always been something redeeming and there's always been something that's lovely and that's made me feel good yeah i love i love the idea of marrying the idea of being a perfectionist and a completist, you know, it's like apply that perfectionism to a desire to complete. You know what I mean? It's like, I have to be a perfectionist about making sure to complete something. Um, Yeah. So I I do love, I do love that, um, that insight. Bring it in backwards.